Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Brian Kelly, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, stocks higher once again today, but the Wall Street strategist who called the market sell-off says we are not in the clear yet. Plus, bank stocks sitting out the rally today, and a top technician says there is more pain to come for the group. We will explain, but first we start off with Apple. The tech giant jumping up about 2% today as CEO Tim Cook said the headwinds the company is dealing with are just temporary. I'm never surprised by the market, to be honest with you, because I, I, I think the market uh, is quite emotional in the <laughs> short term. And, and we sort of look through all of that. We think about the long term. And so when I look at the long term health of the company, it has never been better. The product pipeline has never been better. The ecosystem has never been stronger. The services are on a tear. And Apple has now cut its losses in half since the earnings warning heard around the world last week. But the stock is still down 35% from its 52-week high. So, in the words of Taylor Swift... Oh, is that this, who this is? Yeah. Okay. Is the stock out of the woods yet? I was going to ask Guy. Out of the woods. <laughs> G-Swizz. Okay. No, I'm listening. I don't, is, was she singing that lick? Yeah. Yeah, because it's yes. nice. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's right. Did you see the Taylor Swift thing at the Golden Globes? By the way, it was very endearing. That's we could say that for later in the show. Yeah, right? I want to discuss so Apple. So Apple right out of the you? woods. No, I don't think Apple is out of the woods. I think Apple got bailed out by a stock market that's rallied nine mm-hmm. percent since Christmas Eve. I think that's a big part of it. And if you look at Skyworks, which I'm sure we'll talk about, they just pre-announced lower as well. So the fact that it's bounced is probably a good thing. But I do think it's destined to trade back to the levels that we topped out in in the middle of 2015, which, as I said in number of times, 128 and a half, 129. Everything Tim Cook said is probably true, but the bottom line is $1,000 phones, you know, maybe they put themselves in a position where they actually didn't, like we talked about last night, maybe they don't have the pricing power that they thought they had. Right. Well, uh, I, I tell you what, listening to Tim Cook in some level gives me a lot of confidence and on another level when I hear him say the pipeline's never been, the product pipeline's never been better, you know, I wonder because in fact the pipeline's never been fuller. Uh, we've got more models, more SKUs than we've ever had with Apple, which I think might be actually confusing investors right now, or consumers, excuse me. Um, I don't think investors are terribly confused. I actually think investors believe that this is a great company who's not facing um, kind of uh, existential threats to their core business, but that the iPhone is still the major part of the story here, and they're not going to grow in the next couple of years. I am a shareholder. I'm not happy by this guidance. And now I, a little bit, I worry about the, the company's credibility with investors on giving that guide. Not the company, but That's- giving that guide. Yeah. I agree. Well, just to follow the tale, haters going to hate, hate, hate this one. Oh, right? so nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So nice. We're going to do that later nice. in the show, though. Okay. Well, that's um, yeah. I am long some Apple. It's been painful. Everything Tim has said. Is China demand as good as it has ever been at this, comp- at this company? No, it isn't, right? So right. I, I, don't lo- I didn't love that spin either, especially if, given that he is long-term, and I absolutely believe that, 
why react to what the stock is doing in the very short term? I don't know why. Why he? I guess he's not. He's saying that, that he's saying that we we don't, we don't. Okay. care about right. the short term. We only well, care about okay. the long term. It'll be interesting to see how much stock they are out there buying. Right. right. We'll find that out uh, next quarter. But I mean, I think at this price, though, it is not pricing in. Wow, this is the best that Apple has ever had it. No, so I think I think you can. It's priced yeah. in some I mean, there. for a guy who says he doesn't care about the long term, he's been doing an awful lot of TV interviews since that, right? I mean, they do have a credibility breach problem. The way that they handled changing their guidance, the way that they guided down, they have a credibility problem, and it's going to take some time to work through that. I don't think you necessarily get hurt if you own Apple here. Mm-hmm. It's priced in a lot of stuff, but where's the growth going to come from, right? Where, wh- why is this a growth company, and why should it get a growth multiple? It shouldn't, and it's going to take a couple quarters. Do you think it gets a growth multiple, though? No, no, I don't. No, but no. I mean, that's what it would take for this thing to really rally. I mean, I rally. Think, and some, let's stop beating up on Apple because, you know, Samsung's old news at this point, but Samsung came out and basically said the exact same, same thing as Apple. These guys used to be the largest smartphone player in the world. They got uh, they got it down 29%, 29%, which was two and a half times what Apple gave us. So just to be clear, this is an issue out there for the world. And, and maybe we all, you know, kind of overfed ourselves, not only the holidays with, you know, whatever we might have, but also with smartphones over the last couple of years because Samsung to me is more concerning and that's it, a, a cyclical call and it's a secular call. It could be a technology issue. I mean, Steve, we spoke to Steve Milanovich of Wolf Research today on, on Power Lunch and he was saying, you know, these days people don't feel the need to upgrade. The technology is great. There are a lot of things that are great. When it comes to AI, AR, all these buzzwords that we're hearing, it's not causing any consumers to rush out and buy new gadgets. At this point, people are holding on to their phones for longer. You spend a thousand bucks on a phone, Mm -hmm. you're going to hold on to it for a little bit longer. This is happening across technology. It's not just Apple, although we're focusing on an Apple because they just recently got it. Yeah, maybe one of the reasons Apple's obviously the tape helped today, but maybe one of the reasons Apple is higher is because of Samsung. And the market said, hey, wait a second, Samsung's in a lot worse shape than Apple is, given what Tim's mathematics behind it. But to your secular call, I mean, if everything's going that way, then it is an Apple story as well. So listen, the, the tape has helped without question. The stock went basically in a straight line from 225 down to, what, 140-ish or so and bounced. The bounce was due. I still think there's another leg lower. I think that leg takes us to 138. Here's a plot twist. After our session, Skyworks, Apple's supplier, took down its guidance. The stock, what's it doing? It's up 2%. Yeah. Well, so as a trader, that's what they call a tell, in that you have bad news, good price action. Probably means that most of this is priced in to Skyworks, certainly. Maybe the whole sector, so maybe Apple. You know, I mean, what else is going to come out? We've priced the worst in, so maybe there's going to be a rebound. That's why I don't think you get necessarily hurt in Apple or in Skyworks at this point, because the sellers have done, the sellers are already done. The night, well, quickly, the night that Apple, the night of the Apple news, when yeah. we did a two-hour show, yeah. Skyworks was one of the first names we mentioned, and mm-hmm. we specifically said you're going to have to see some sort of pre-announcement out of Skyworks. I'm not trying to play Monday morning quarterback. We had that conversation. The stock was trading 68 or so at the time. If you look, it traded down to 61 within four or five trading days. So this bounce doesn't even get us back to the level that we saw that night. So I think it's exactly that—a bounce—and I would think this will roll over as well. Everyone yeah. should pre-announce. 
who who needs to. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Get out There's the door now. Shield, right. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Well, and, and, and some of these guys actually, they, they actually front ran Apple. I mean, if some of the yeah. suppliers, and, and that's the whole story really on, on these guys. I think they, the report after the bell tells you there's a bit of a sigh of relief on a bunch of these players, even a Broadcom or, or some of the other players in the space. I just point out, I think the market only goes as far as the semis can bounce off these lows. And I, right now, you know, look at, look at the SMH. Somewhere around 88, 89 is where you run into the top of what has been a downtrend since July. So um, they have not rallied as much as the rest of the market, even in a market that's shown tremendous breadth. Um, and I think, I, I think we, again, I think we gorged on a lot of chips, a lot of semis, and, and a lot of new tech uh, in 2018. Yeah, I mean, with, I, I agree with that. I, this market is going to be driven by the semis and by some of the larger tech names because that's the names that drove it forward. Once you start losing those again, because you saw it in the, at the last week, started losing those one by one, that's when you need to be worried about the market rolling over again. All right. Well, Apple may seem like it's in the clear, at least for now, but it's not time to give the all clear to the market just yet. That, at least according to our next guest, let's bring in Mike Wilson, the chief U.S. equity strategist at Morgan Stanley. Mike, great to have you back. Thank you. Um, Not a few strategists doesn't have to come on our show and downgrade his market because, in fact, he had already done that. We didn't do anything. (laughs) Yeah. Good for you. Um, Why not the all clear at this point? I mean, didn't Powell give you exactly what you wanted to hear from the Federal Reserve? Yeah. Well, let's talk about the setup. First of all, one thing we didn't get right, we thought that we'd get to 2400 this year. We didn't think we'd do it all in December. So the market did kind of get to our target mm-hmm. more quickly than we thought. We thought the market would want to see the news actually come out, the stuff like Apple, the ISMs, and Skyworks, and there's going to be more of that, by the way, coming. So we got to our price, um, but that's valuation, right? So valuation, we met our goal. Um, we also met our goal in terms of sentiment and positioning. It's really bearish. I mean, extremely bearish, as bearish as we've seen. <coughs> but what we don't have yet is the fundamental picture is still messy, okay? So all the things that we've been worried about, the market's been worried about all year, are now starting to come to the fore, okay? So while Apple maybe isn't a surprise that they missed, the magnitude of it was a surprise, okay? And while Skyworks isn't a surprise, well, you know, that's not necessarily good news. So we'll see how it trades tomorrow. Look, our view is that the rolling bear market that happened last year is now going to be a rolling bottom. So not everything's going to bottom at the same time. And my guess is it's going to be first in, first out. The stuff that let us in will probably lead us out. So Apple was actually one of the ones that fell at the end. It's probably not going to lead us out, right? Names like Skyworks or semiconductors, home builders, uh, maybe the banks, some of the machinery stocks, some of the early cycle stocks probably is what's going to lead. And by the way, that's what's been working so far this year, year to date, early. But I think that's, that's really what we've got to be looking for is what's leading, what's, what's, what's leading us out. And I think it's going to be the early cycle stuff. When you talk about fundamentals, what is, for you, what are fundamentals? Is it Fed? Is it trade? Is it something else? Is it it's growth, right? So ultimately, growth. It's, okay. it's ultimately, it's earnings. Ultimately, are we going to have accelerating earnings growth? When is earnings growth going to bottom? So the two things that I'm probably most focused on right now is earnings revision breadth. That has rolled over decidedly. That was the reason we were negative last year, and it's turned down sharply. It's 8% negative the way we measure it. In 2016, which was the last time we had an earnings recession without an economic one, it went to negative 20 uh, Tim and I were chatting before the show. I, I don't see how the earnings revision trajectory is going to turn up anytime soon. It's going to continue to be negative. It's just very difficult for the market to kind of, you know, have a sustainable rally until that happens. That's point one. Point two is on the financial conditions. The other reason we were negative last year is financial conditions were tightening. Yes, Powell gave us an all clear in terms that he's now paying attention to the balance sheet, the things that we've been talking about. But they haven't done anything. So, you know, talking about it, talk is cheap, right? Talking about it's one thing. Actually changing the behavior is what needs to happen. So they need to stop the balance sheet reduction. 
and they need to probably stop hiking rates for us to have a sustainable rally. And I don't know what that's going to take, but look, the further we move away from 2,500 upwards, the chance of that happening goes down, not up. So I'm curious then, is that what you're talking about is slowing global growth? So if the Fed does make those moves, or let's just say even they cut like some people are talking about, does that change your view? Yeah, but they're not going to be cutting anytime soon. And, and, they, and look, I do, our view is that they will pause this year on the rate hikes. And I think they have to start tapering QT, so it's a reversal of QE, right? And I don't know what the timetable is on that. That will give us some breathing room for sure, and I think that's going to be very constructive. But don't forget, we're still end of cycle, right? I mean, we still, we're still have an economic cycle that we have to kind of finish, so we can only go so far. Look, I mean, the reality is, is that the market has been very good at pricing in a lot of the concerns that we've had. We're in a bear market, right? Everything's down 20 25%. That's a bear market. So, so the question now is, what does the recovery look like? Typically, when you have the kind of damage that we've had, we have massive overhead resistance now. So the fourth thing we're looking at is technicals. The 200-day moving average is turned down. Okay, now we went right to the 200-week moving average and bounce. That's healthy. But my guess is we're going we're gonna to play ping pong now between the two. So in terms of, of investing in some of these first-in sectors, yeah. is it too early to do that at this point? Are you sort of wait and see or, no, or go in on home builders, go in on semis? That's what we're doing. I mean, we're, we're, we skew towards value in that belief that the value stocks are not necessarily better companies, but they priced a lot more. And it started out with a defensive rotation because people were nervous about growth slowing. Now it's turning into the cyclical parts of the market. So things like home builders, machinery, banks, uh, you know, some of the energy stocks for sure. Yeah, we're legging into those things now because, look, from a price standpoint, we're close enough, right? Right. Close enough. Mike, thanks. Good to see you. Mike thanks Wilson, Morgan Stanley. You, you said something interesting, a couple. Of, uh, you always say something yeah, interesting. I was like, yeah. it is rare. Correction. But no, but you, you listened it? to the Powell interview on the radio, so you didn't you didn't realize that he was actually reading from what appeared to be a script, and you found it interesting. Right. And I've thought about that a lot. I mean, he was absolutely reading from something. He was reading and, from a piece of paper. Which, and in my opinion, he was he was he reading sure from he something. Didn't miss. He made sure yeah. he didn't miss. But it's like you tell your parents, don't worry, I'll never do it again, and your parents believe you for a while, but yet you continue to do it. I think that's exactly what's going to happen with Q. I think they're going to continue to whittle down this balance sheet until the market calls them out again, at which time they'll talk about being, you know, not on autopilot. And I think that will continue for the foreseeable future. So that future. means the market has more room lower. Well, I well, believe so, yeah. I, I'll tell you, I think the one thing the market's missed about the uh, last week's talk with Bernanke, with Yellen, mm-hmm. and with Powell is that they talked about this thing called price level targeting. But basically what it means is you run the economy hotter than you would normally expect to get your prices up. Now, they're going to have a conference in June. I would expect in the minutes tomorrow, maybe there's some more talk about that. But if that narrative picks up, then you get a steeper yield curve. Then you get a market that rips. Well, I I may be a bad guy, and I I don't think Guy agrees with this, but I I think they do need to run it hotter. I mean, think about where we came from, folks. We came from the worst credit crisis in history, arguably, uh, and a cancer that needs to be cut out and arguably was not and takes some time. And look at Japan, who is still struggling with all of this. So deflation is really the devil right now. That's the biggest issue, not inflation. We'd like to have inflation. And if your New Year's resolution is to say that actually the Fed is my friend in 2019, uh, I don't think so. So we may be aligned on that guy. The Fed is their balance sheet is only 11 percent less than where it started on QT. So they haven't done all that much heavy lifting and there's a lot to go. All right, of course, you're going to want to stick around for the full interview with Apple CEO Tim Cook and Jim Cramer at the top of the hour, 6 p.m. on Mad Money. Still ahead on Fast, somewhere out there, Mark Zuckerberg 
is smiling. And that is because Facebook is soaring. Is it finally safe to buy this stock again? And later, it's been a bank bloodbath. And one top technician says it's about to get a lot worse. He will tell us the one name he thinks will be a disaster this earnings season. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. you guy <laughs> welcome back to fast money facebook rallying today on a note from jp morgan delving into why the social media giant was one of its top picks of 2019 calling for a monster 38 percent surge to 195 dollars a share the stock is now up 16 percent from the december lows is it finally <laughs> safe to buy this stock again tim well it doesn't surprise me good for jp morgan for at least getting out there and making a call on a best idea and, and there's a there's a valuation argument for facebook if you believe their old numbers um but they talk about 40 percent OPEX growth. I actually think that's understating it. The big problem with this company, and I've said this for a long time, is they can't they can't basically determine their cost of goods sold. In other words, if their widget is data and they're producing this uh, and they can't tell you what it's going to cost to actually either secure that data, uh, defend the platform, help the people at home remain uh, confident in that platform, they've got big problems. That's why this company, to me, trades at a multiple that's contracting. It doesn't mean that revenue growth won't be probably mid 20 percent, and that's probably very conservative. But I actually think this is a company that continues to suffer from perception risk, corporate governance risk, and that is a reason to keep a company under wraps. How do you, go ahead, Karen. You think none of that, you think there's no perception risk priced in, that there's no regulation risk priced in, that there's no expense risk priced in? I think a that lot, seems impossible to me. I think a lot impossible. of it's priced in, but, but I, I also think that we haven't really seen the proper fallout from the platform. I get the fact that Instagram's growing. Um, I think there's, core Facebook and advertisers um, are, the jury is very much out on this. And then there's but regulation the stock coming. Is, the stock has really kind already, right? I, I, yes. so there's a, could be Split two different things. Yeah. Like, just look, we look, like Skyworks. Split screen. we look at Skyworks, right? Crappy numbers, stocks mm-hmm. up. At some point, though, I think you're going to see what you were, were going to call bad news as no longer being bad news anymore, that people think, look, this is priced in. It's so washed out. It's still an extraordinary cash generator. I mean, the metrics here, especially if you back up the cash, the multiple is... Really on sale, very heavily discounted with all that bad news. So I, I can't argue that there's not a lot of bad news priced in here. That's why the stock has done what it's done. And by the way, before even this company was perceived to be as bad, I think that the bad news was, I think the I, stock I, was pricing it in before I, that. I think what, so, I think what, I mean, maybe the point that you're getting at is that a lot of bad news is priced in the stock, but how do you really have a handle on the degree of magnitude of that bad news in terms of how much Facebook will actually have to spend uh, for regulation? We, right. And, and, that's and, and are you comfortable problem. with that unknown in terms of pricing something in? I am comfortable uh-huh. with it. I'm clear yeah. that it hasn't been right, okay? But I am a long-term holder here, and I think that I don't know that it'll be this quarter that they fully get their arms around it, but I, I can tell you that I think the street is way too negative on it. What do you well, think? Well, 
gentlemen? Well, for me, I think the call, I mean, it's an interesting call. They're talking about having the, the user base being stickier than the street kind of thinks about. But 195 price target is a bridge too far for BK. I mean, I think I could see this getting to 160 on some kind of a rebound that all the bad news is priced in. Uh, but I don't think it gets as high as they say. Yeah, I think the rebound gets you to where the, and when in the March when Zuckerberg testified, mm-hmm. I think the stock traded down to 152 or so, if, if, if so memory serves. Right. So maybe that's your upside. But, and get, kudos to Tim. has been on this for a while. We had talked a few weeks ago when the stock was 136, 125 was probably a line in the sand. And if you look where it traded, that's exactly where it traded down to and bounced. But I don't see any compelling reason to get ahead of this in the earnings, I believe, on the 30th. I mean, it's been two quarters in a row where they've really thrown the market a curveball. And you've got to believe they're going to come out swinging this time. I just don't believe that. All right. For more on Facebook and the problems the social media giant is facing internally, head on over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. Here's what's coming out on the show. Guys, relax. This is just the calm before the storm. The earnings storm is coming, and the banks could be the first bolt to strike. A top technician will be here to explain just how ugly things could get. Plus, housing stocks have been getting crushed, and traders are betting it might be about to get even worse. We will explain. There's much more Fast Money right after this. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create. Like Olu Shei, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Goldman cutting its forecast for the 10-year yield today, saying we may have already seen peak rates in this cycle. Bob Pisani is down at the NYSE with all the details. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. Good to see you. As always, Goldman had a report out revising down their global yield forecast for 2019. Now, they cited weakness in the global growth data, a poor risk sentiment, and tighter financial conditions. All that Goldman says, has led markets to reconsider just how much farther central banks can really raise rates globally. You put it all together here, Goldman now believes 10-year yields have peaked for this cycle. They have revised their yield forecast downward right across the globe. So the most important revision is right here in the United States, where they've downgraded their outlook in general. The U.S. forecast is now 3% yield for the 10-year by the fourth quarter. 
That's 50 basis points lower than the old forecast of 3.5%. They also dropped it significantly in Canada, 2.4% now. That's uh, lower by about 50, 60 basis points than the old 3% forecast. There's more modest revisions elsewhere, Germany, the UK, and Japan. In Germany's case, the downward revision is only 15 basis points lower to 0.65%. Now, why the more modest downward revisions in Europe? The lower growth expectations there, the ample supply of bonds, and the end of bond purchases by the European Central Bank all limit how far yields can move down, Goldman says. Importantly, while Goldman continues to expect the yield curve to flatten in the United States, they do not expect the 530 curve to fully flatten. So, Melissa, some very interesting comments from Goldman. Back to you. Absolutely. Thank you, Bob. Bob Pisani with NYSE. Well, financials will face the music next week as earnings kick off, and our next guest says it's going to get ugly out there. Let's bring in Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. He's over at the Plasma with more. Hey, Todd. Hey, Melissa. Uh, first, to set up uh, the current environment, which financials continue to be a major headwind to any kind of recovery, let's look at the 10-year yield and the XLF in blue. So this is the financials ETF. <coughs> Traditional global macro relationships would say that bonds or bond yields will lead stocks. What's interesting is we're seeing the reverse happen. XLF in blue, you'll see bottom to first, then began to move up. 10-year yield was some period later. Same thing up here at the top. We had XLF topping, then yields beginning to top, moving lower. Uh, personally, I do think yields continue to push down in kind of a risk-off, risk, risk uh, off safe haven kind of trade. I'm long TLT, so I think this underperformance in the financials continues. So as we look at the XLF in isolation here, uh, we could see that uh, we have a serious period of underperformance here. Financials continue to be a major weight on this market. Uh, we have a huge kind of 2017-18 shelf here. We've got a line here. We've got a line here. There's a lot of wood to chop from old lows, which were formerly support, now acting resistance. On top of it, that purple line right there is the 50-period MA. As a technician, when you get a confluence of technical levels coming together, it just adds extra uh, conviction to the trade. So I think 25 is going to be very significant heading into earnings starting on the 14th. JP, arguably the strongest financial out there. Again, that same kind of concept of a broken shelf of support that should have held, didn't, broke, now offers resistance, uh, is right around here at about the 103, 104 level. Again, one of the strongest financials out there. But again, 50 MA matches up with this old support. Anybody who's caught long here would be happy to get out of break even, creating that synthetic resistance level with confluence in the 50 MA. So earnings better be pretty strong if we're going to continue to squeeze on up. But me, I'm personally short the market. I'm nervously short. And financials, I think, are helping that trade on the downside. You're short the overall S&P 500, Todd? I'm short the overall S&P. I've reduced the position here um, going up. And if we do start to get any more strength, I will cut that. I'm long the market longer term, but my shorter term trading accounts, I am short with the options market. Nervously short, but, you know, technology is, is moving up. FANG continues to be strong. I think it's the beaten down FANG coming up, heading into earnings. Is that, you know, a recovery story? I don't know. But I think that's a major problem. All right, Todd, good to see you. Thanks, Todd Gordon, tradinganalysis.com. Uh, interesting call uh, in terms of J.P. Morgan. We had Jeffries come out downgrading the stock today to a hold uh, rating, basically saying that it's going to be uh, an outperformer in its group simply because the earnings revisions for its peers will be worse. It's not exactly a ringing endorsement for J.P. Morgan's outperformance of the group, Karen. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and I love J.P. Morgan. It clearly has been a great place to be. I mean, 
it's, you know, this valuation, what is it, about 10-ish times. The yield is north of three. I don't like to buy anything on a dividend, but think about that. The premier name, the pristine balance sheet, an extraordinary business, right? And to buy, be able to buy it at this price, uh, I don't know. I think the risk reward is very compelling here. JP Morgan was my all-weather stock yesterday, mm-hmm. and that was kind of a crazy thing to do. But I, I believe that, yes, because it outperforms its peer group. I, I say this about financials. Easy to attack them. They've underperformed the S&P from last February to the lows by about 11.5%. During this period where yields have been plummeting, and they've obviously rallied back over the last couple of days, but the banks outperformed the S&P from mid-December to this point. Um, and that tells you something about where they could outperform now. I love the banks there. I, 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 I the actually, banks. yes, You're because not I have. No, I'm not joking. Oh, okay. No, I really love the banks because I happen to think what that we're BK at the early stage. What's that? What does BK think? BK loves them too. He, okay. He'll buy them twice. That's how much he loves them. But I think we're at the early stages of the Fed changing monetary policy. They do not want a flat yield curve. So they're going to change their policies so the yield curve steepens, and that's going to be fantastic for banks. So I like them, especially the ones that are trading below book value. Well, one of them is trading significantly below tangible book is City. I mean, City reported October, middle of October, tangible book was $61.91. Now you look at it, it's trading with a $55 handle. The banks are trying to tell you something. We're not at financial crisis levels, but City trading where it is, Goldman Sachs, which is a story unto itself, trading where it is, it's telling you that things aren't as rosy as they seem. So although J.P. Morgan is best, and no question about it, at what point does it price a tangible book just so out of sync with the rest of the space? Does it continue to widen or does J.P. Morgan sort of start to get cut? That's the question to me. I, I don't, I'm not as focused on, on price to tangible book as I am to earnings, right? So to me, the different, I, I, City <laughs> at one point I thought had more upside, right? But in a global this, economy, that kind of a thing. I mean, I get, well, just it was priced cheaper. The P.E. was cheaper. The price to book was cheaper, all that. But now the yield is about the same to have J.P. Morgan at 10 times and City at eight and a half times isn't quite enough to that discount isn't enough to overcome the, what the premium valuation that J.P.M. deserves. Coming up, this being down stock is soaring off its recent lows, but one of the traders says not to trust the rally. We'll give you the name and tell you what has them so worried. Plus, we're 18 days into the government shutdown as America waits for the president to address the nation tonight. Could the shutdown showdown be about to wreak havoc on the market? We'll have a special report when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The U.S. government is mired in the middle of its second longest shutdown in history, and the fallout could be about to wreak havoc on the market. CNBC senior economics reporter Steve Leisman is back at headquarters with the lowdown. Hey, Steve. Hey, Melissa. Trying to figure out what it means for the U.S. economy that 800,000 workers are unlikely to get a paycheck this week. Let's scale up from small to large here. It's potentially devastating for individuals and their families who can't afford sometimes basic stuff. Troubling for the businesses and communities that rely on the spending of the furloughed workers, but small and at least for a time manageable for the broader U.S. economy. Here's one way to think about it. It's as if the entire city of Milwaukee, which has 879,000 workers, didn't get a paycheck for at least two weeks. But the effects of that, unlike, say, the effects of a natural disaster, they're spread out. They hit D.C. area the hardest and then other places less so. More so, there's no actual disaster and people might eventually get paid. So economists estimate the shutdown cost the U.S. economy around 0.1 percentage points of GDP each week it goes on in the current quarter. Some of the spending is lost forever. But the income comes back, and so will some of that spending. The economy should recoup most of the losses in the following quarter. 
That's if the shutdown ends. Mark Zandi from Moody's Analytics writes, anything beyond March likely means the political dysfunction in Washington is intensifying, unlikely undermining businesses and consumer confidence. Just how much economic damage it, will, it is doing will depend on the circumstances. And that's really the problem, guys, with these numerical exercises of economists. As with issues like trade and tariffs, the numbers don't often add up to much initially. But when you consider the X factors, like the effect on confidence and the rise in uncertainty that can restrain investment, the cost of the shutdown rising and end up being costlier than it at first appears, Melissa. Uh, Karen's got a question for you, Steve. Yeah, can you describe a little more fully how much of that you get back once they do, let's say they come to a deal in the next few days of that point one? Well, um, the, the initial idea is it's one for one. That's what a lot of the economists say. I don't actually believe that because I think about the idea that, for example, this is a bad <laughs> one for me, but let's say I needed a haircut, right, which I don't <laughs> often do, right? And, and I missed my haircut because I didn't have money for it. I probably wouldn't do two haircuts in a month. I'd do one haircut in a month. Say with a, a, a trip you might, you know, to the nail salon or some of those discretionary items. A mortgage that's not paid eventually will get paid, right? So that stuff. A doctor's visit, some of that's discretionary. So, you know, if you were going to go out to the mall on the weekend and spend a little money, well, if you didn't have that money that weekend, you may not go out to the mall. And who's to say whether next right. month you go out to the mall and spend that money? So it's I think some of it is lost forever because you don't ever get back the time you had that money. And there's in your so pocket. many there's so many examples beyond haircut, although that's a very vivid example in your case. But if, for instance, going out to dinner, you're not going to go and Thank have you for dinner. underlining that. Melissa, I, I'm highlighting that. And well, you're not going to go and that. have dinner twice. Right. When, out when to you dinner. I could have used that. Again. I could have used that. You could you, you borrow it all I, you I want, could, Steve. And, all and look, the market seems to be sanguine okay okay with it for now but i think if it drags on it's like the tariff thing it undermines yeah. look the economists allegedly use that same figure of 0.1 percent for trade and tariffs i think people think it's worse now because of the tensions and some of the issues yeah. that are out there all right steve thank you pleasure steve leesman back at headquarters all right so there's a, also a staggering stat from zillow 435 million dollars in mortgage payments and rents that will yeah. be owed by unpaid federal workers this month at, I mean, those are the type of things that makes you think that this isn't going to go on for that long. And I actually happen to think we have a window of opportunity here where this thing could be over this week. This shutdown could be over this week. I think that Trump's speech tonight about the border sets up the calling, calling it a, an emergency, a national emergency. He gets his money. Shutdown's over. I think that's very positive. Maybe. See, it's, it's interesting what I take away from Steve's comments is, you know, people obviously don't have the money to spend. If this lasts a long time, people realize, hey, you know what? I didn't really miss spending that money. And maybe they'll change their spending habits. You think they're going to change? You think Americans are going to change their spending habits? If you, you get say, conditioned oh, over a period of time to realize, you know, maybe I don't need that Starbucks. So I don't have to go to cafe. When you get that windfall yeah. check that actually is a bigger check than you've ever seen in a while. I will um, say. I think it's you're going to probably I'm just spend throwing it. it out. I'm just tossing it up. Look, the, 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 I think the exercise was to point out where confidence in the business community is has been shattered. We went yeah. from record consumer confidence. We certainly went from record small business confidence to a place where actually it's 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 contracting aggressively. And you have a dynamic where in other parts of the Do world you think even that's it's because of the shutdown or because of the prolonged because of the trade tariff. To be clear, yeah. um, I, I I think. You almost get the sense that they feel like they can stuff this shutdown in the middle of all this other, you know, shutdown in terms of business confidence, because uh, otherwise it would be very difficult to explain, even though both sides can line up very evenly on this one and say, you know, we're totally right. 
Um, but this is I am surprised that this shutdown has gone this long with more people not screaming outrage on either side of the aisle right up the middle, which is that this is absurd. And this is actually, to me, pretty arrogant. Well, I mean, the fact that the government's going to issue IRS refund, tax refund checks in a timely fashion, that certainly removes some of the pressure, yes. at least that Congress people will feel. People will still get sure. their refund checks. They'll still get their money to go spend on a latte or a haircut. And, all you know, all's fine. But when Congress gets phone calls, uh-huh. they start getting their phone calls from the district, that's when it's going to really intensify. The Guy, would you but stop so your soy latte? I mean, if, if Never. Actually, yeah. Not on the bed. You help Steve out a lot with the, the out to dinner. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, he can, he can, Steve, use that example all you want. Forget about the haircut. All right, still ahead. Housing stocks have been on a tear to start the year, but some traders are betting one name in the space could get wrecked when a report's earnings tomorrow. We've got all the details. Much more fast right after this. It has been a hot start for the year for the home builders. The XHB ETF up about 7% in the past week, but options traders think the earnings results might put a halt to that rally. Mike Coase has the action in San Francisco. Mike. Yeah, so we did see basically much higher than usual implied moves going into earnings in both Lennar and KB Homes. Lennar is implying about a 6% move. That's nearly double the 3.5% that it typically averages after earnings. KB Homes is implying about a 9% move, also about double what it typically sees, about 5%. And both of them saw well above average put volume. In the case of Lennar, it traded about four times the average put volume. KB Homes traded about double its average put volume. Looking at KB Homes first, the trade that sort of stuck out to me was the January 20 puts. We saw buyers of those paying about 60 cents. Buyers of those puts are obviously making bearish bets that it's going to fall below that strike price by the 60 cents that they spent. That would be down 8.5% just to break even, given the 9% implied move. One can assume that they're expecting that implied move will be to the downside. And interestingly, also in Lennar Homes, although we didn't see the same outright bearish bets, we did see some hedging trades, 1,000 lot put spread, risk reversal. Basically, somebody is protecting 100,000 shares of Lennar for a move to about 10% to the downside, but giving themselves still up to 50 if that should, in fact, go a little bit higher after earnings. What do you think of the home builders, Karen? Well, I, I like the backdrop of that you have a lot of people employed, right, and mm-hmm. rates coming down. But there's so many idiosyncratic issues trying to find good labor to build the homes, right, and some of the, the tariff issues. Supply issues. Right, yeah. And supply. And so to me, Affordable. I want to be in where there's retail and, and home. So Home Depot and Lowe's. Ingram chart. Actually, I at one point several months ago liked Lowe's better, but now... I think Home Depot is the way to go at the same P.E. I think it's a superior company, and it's come in a very long way. Home Depot reports, I think, February 23rd. I agree. Listen, people will point to the home builders and say on valuation they're cheap. And, yes, that is true. But you look, a lot of these have negative earnings growth, Pulte Homes being one of them. A lot of them have had significant moves from the bottom, Pulte Homes being one of them, about 21.5 to where it's trading now. So, yeah, maybe you'll get a spike after earnings. I don't think you will. My inclination is to fade these things instead of trade them. See what I did there? Oh, I like that. I didn't play the game. You did. You I'm a fader, too, by the way. I I fade these. I mean, I happen to think that rates are going higher, so it's not going to be good for the home builders. Plus all the issues that they have with supply, with labor, all of that, I'm a seller. Lowe's up 16% against the S&P as rates are coming down, and I also think that a slower economy is very good for home improvement. Mike, thanks for that. For more Options Action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, CNBC's Julie Borson will sit down with media mogul Sir Martin Sorrell to talk everything from Facebook to the changing ad landscape. That's right after this break. We're live at the Nasdaq in Times Square. Much more fast still ahead.
Welcome back to Fast Money, the world's biggest annual tech show, CES, underway at the Las Vegas Convention Center, featuring the next big developments taking place in the tech industry. And that includes how many of these technologies could impact the ad space going forward. Julie Borson's on site for Sir Morton Sorrell, the former CEO of WPP, executive chairman of S4 Capital, for her first on CNBC interview. Julia, take it away. Thank you so much, Melissa. I really appreciate it. And Sir Martin, thank you so much for joining us here Good today. Good to be here. So this is your first interview on CNBC. Your first invitation since, to talk to us. That's not true. <laughs> since you were pushed out as CEO. Or resigned, of, uh, actually, technically. Okay. Yeah. Well, technically resigned, pushed yeah. out. But it did come in the wake of an internal probe into allegations of misuse of corporate funds as well as personal misconduct. Yeah. How do you address those allegations? Well, do you remember what happened, Julia? I mean, there isn't. Apparently, there, there was an investigation. There was an investigation, and nothing was found. But and I and I and I resigned as a what? A good lever. So. But there have been no reports saying that nothing was found. Where where do, where does it say that? No, the company was found? said that. No, the the release by the company at the end said that. Nothing material was found. Nothing material. But this has still been um, a period of great scandal yeah. and controversy. There's been a great change. Let's put it like that. We've started S4 Capital uh, in May of last year. Uh, we made two acquisitions in identifying three areas that we thought were important. First party data, driving the development of digital content and digital media planning and buying, often known as programmatic. So media monks in content and Mighty Hive uh, in, media, in programmatic. And we're now in 12 countries, 1,200 employees. Small, uh, mm. I've compared it to a peanut or a coconut plus uh, mighty high, small in relation, say, to the big six uh, in the advertising industry, but in th three of the fastest growing areas. Now, you've raised nearly $500 million. Right. Was it a challenge to regain the trust of investors in the wake of those scandals? No, I, th I think we've, you know, the, the two fundraisings went well. I had initial fundraising where we, we got together a group of investors in the UK and we funded the MediaMax acquisition immediately after that. And then we closed Mighty Hive uh, on Christmas Eve. Uh, and we've got a very good uh, offer in the digital area. That's about 200 billion of the trillion in our industry, 500 billion in, in old stuff and 500 billion in new stuff. So I think we're very well positioned. And here at CES, we've seen a lot of interest <coughs> from clients who are really embarked, as, as you know from our panel, on serious change and experimentation. But this is a very crowded space, and many people have asked, especially when you look at the fact that sure. WPP's stock price down about 50% over the past two years, why you would get back into this business and try to take on your old company. Well, I mean, it's not a question of taking on our old company. I mean, we're, we're $150 million of revenue, and they're $20 billion, So that's why I can make it the comparison to a peanut or a coconut or David and Goliath or whatever what analogy you want. No, what we're interested in is the high growth areas. I remember a study by McKinsey many years ago, the reasons for success are companies not so much focused on cost and cost reduction, which is highly relevant in today's environment, but really focused on revenue and revenue growth. That's where the key is. It's not cutting costs and cutting back. It's positioning the portfolio or the operation which you're running in the high growth areas. And in terms of the landscape right now, yeah. do you think that Facebook will suffer from a year of negative Well, I headlines? haven't seen it. I mean, there's a lot of press commentary, media commentary that, but you know, fa Facebook's, the loss on the Facebook swing is the gain on the Instagram roundabout. Mm -hmm. And what we've seen is clients switching some spending from Facebook to Instagram. They also have WhatsApp and Messenger as well, but, but 
essentially, I think Facebook actually has done quite well in a very difficult, difficult environment. And as you well know, there are really only three alternatives, and, and just, Amazon, Facebook, and Google. And so do you think there is a good alternative to Facebook right now? Is it Amazon now? Well, the, the pressure from Amazon will come on the advertising area and the search area. And that's very much focused on Google and Facebook, Google on search and Google and Facebook on social. So there, there will be a, a big battle. The, the ad revenues at Google in 17 were 100 billion, next last year 125, Facebook 40 and 17, mm. maybe 50, 55 last year. Amazon is still only at 10 billion, mm. but it's moving it's up very fast, quickly. Yeah. And the Amazon people are very focused and very good. And Google and Facebook are well aware of this. Facebook has all mm. the issues around brand safety and privacy and everything that's come out and political stuff has come out, which has made it more difficult. But actually, I think to give them their credit, and they're, and they're employed 30,000 people now yeah. to monitor editorial content. So they're almost a media company now. So giving Facebook credit as a media company and also Amazon's the one to watch well, it Amazon in that is space. And Google uh, will, will remain strong, uh, yeah. along with Alibaba and Tencent. Okay, well, we are out of time. Sir Martin Sorrell, <laughs> thank you so thank much for you. joining us. We really thank appreciate you. it. Guys, back over to you in the All studio. right, Julia and Sir Martin, thank you. Up next, we're digging deep, very deep into the archives and breaking out one of our classic Fast Money games. Oh. That's right after this break. Stay tuned. It's Throwback Tuesday here on Fast oh. with one of our classic Fast Money games, Pops and Drops. That's right. Pops, remember that? Pops and Drops. Goldie, but a goodie. Start off with a pop for Boeing at the move 4%. Guy. Trading like we're going to have a deal with China. They report at the end of the month. I think too far, too fast on the upside. I'd sell it right here, Melms. Drop for gap down 4%. Karen. Yeah, I don't really know why, except that it was up a lot yesterday for no great reason. So what goes up must come down. Havana Drop. Mattel popping 5%. Tim. Boy, this stock needed some pop, and I'll tell you what, this stock's probably very range band at best, short covering. I don't think you chase it. All right, and last up, applied materials down 4% on the day. BK. Yeah, to borrow a phrase from Calvin Brodus, you drop it like it's hot. I don't like the sunnies here at all. <laughs> all right. Well, you might be wondering why we brought back one of our yes. favorite classic Fast Money segments, and that is because it is our 12-year anniversary today. That's right. 12 years of laughter, tears, and a few big interviews. Take a look. We are joined now in an exclusive interview with Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, the original architect of Viacom, Tom Preston, legendary activist investor Carl Icahn, Howard Lutnick, Jeffrey Gunlock, John Madden, the legend, joins us here on Fast Money. This would be the perfect time to play the dating game. Karen, it's Jamie Diamond. Ah. I'm here to say happy birthday. Thank you, Jamie. Here it is, meandering around 35. Why? I don't know. <laughs> because I don't know. You gotta tell me. Do you want me to stick my fingers? No, I'm okay. <laughs> what in the world? I don't even know what my mouth is. Oh, you're going to help me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mmm. Bang! Dunkashane, darling, Dunkashane. Where are the candles, man? Come on, forget about that. Thanks for watching. Yeah. Twelve years, Guy, and you're the uh, original. Twelve years. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, when we started this thing, I gave it 12 days, 12 years later. <laughs> My favorite, though, you had some big... Was you had big, big, big hair. Big hair. Yeah, big hair. Big hair was all the rage then, 10 years ago. 
<laughs> yeah, what a long, strange trip it's been. I mean, think about it. Think about those shows during the crisis. We come on and we didn't know what was going to happen right. by the end of the show. Right. I mean, yeah. really, who was going to collapse during the five o'clock right. hour or the bank <laughs> stress test, the first yeah. round of stress test? Yep. I mean, all of that within the past 12 years. So it's crazy been, ride. Yeah. Learned a lot. Run. Thank you all out there for, for watching yep, and being with us. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Yeah, company's been around for 12 years and then some is Macy's, which really hasn't participated. I think they had a great holiday season. That's what they say. Stay in this name. Karen. Along the retail lines, Foot Locker, which I've liked a lot. Time to lighten up a little. It's had a huge run. PK. So you've got a couple catalysts coming up the next day. I think you buy Letter X U.S. Steel. Apparently steel walls are in vogue these days. <laughs> Did you watch that Alabama game last night? I watched some of it. You wonder, you wonder if the coach is watching this show right now because that was a Saving? miserable yeah, miserable performance. But I'm going to tweak Tim here and say I think Netflix continues to rally. Yeah, you tweak me, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Tweak away. Have you read his articles on CNBC.com? Yeah, get there. That does it for us. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere full interview with CEO Tim Cook of Apple with Jim when Mad Money starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.